Are you ready to break the silence and embrace the transformative journey of perimenopause? Well, you're in the right place. We are Natalie and Lisa, your hosts, and this is the podcast that's rewriting the script on perimenopause. Join us in embracing the strength within, awakening dormant power, and closing the knowledge gap. We're here to inspire great health and ensure every woman is seen and heard. Get ready for expert insights, relatable stories, and a community that gets it. Unleash your perimenopause power. It's time to own your story. Before we jump into today's insightful conversation, we have a favor to ask. Will you help us by completing our short survey? Now, we all know the various challenges women experience during perimenopause from hormonal fluctuations, physical discomfort, psychological adjustments, just to name a few. But one thing we don't often talk about are the feelings of loneliness, isolation, and even that sense of loss that can come about as part of this phase of life. We are having a lot more conversations about this now that the awareness has increased, but we want to talk about it more and we would love your help in doing so. Our survey is a start to bridging the gap in awareness of menopause and the feelings of isolation and loneliness, whilst emphasizing the need for social connection. We have provided the link to the survey in our show notes, and we hope that you can give us two minutes of your time to fill it out. Now, let's get into today's episode. We want to welcome Emma Jones, founder of Project F. Emma founded social impact business Project F in 2019 to improve gender balance in technology teams and leadership. Her career in the people and diversity spans over 28 years across global markets. Originally from London, Emma's career has seen her live and work in the UK, US and the last decade in Australia. Driven by purpose, Emma is an unapologetic, albeit accidental feminist, and she is on a mission to change the culture of tech with her company, Project F's Gender Balance Accreditation Program. Emma is a strategist, mentor, gender equality advocate, and a busy mother of four. Let's get into today's episode. Well, hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Perimenopause Power. Lisa, we are in the same room, and it's always a treat. It is a treat. Hi, Nat. Thanks for thanks for having me at your place today. <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's always nice when you can be in the company of uh, physical company of others, and then of course we always also have the wonderful pleasure of having our guests online doing these wonderful interviews. And um, we want to introduce Emma Jones as our guest today. Hi, thanks for having me. So Emma, we are thrilled to have you join us today. And could you perhaps tell us a little bit more about your work at Project F? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, So we've been going for around about five years now, and we run a diversity and inclusion program and accreditation for organisations, big, small, um, public sector, private sector, which is based on improving gender diversity and technology. that's quite a long thing to say but it's um there's lots of different forms of of diversity and inclusion um and we stay in our lane we know about technology as a sector we know what the systemic issues are and why we're still vastly women are still vastly underrepresented in technology globally and we help customers to surface what those barriers are for women in their structures and systems And then we use the accreditation program to 
I suppose, if you like, hold them to account to deliver on the change that's required. We work with a, a whole heap of different companies like um, Google, Canva, the ABC, UNSW, um, Immutable, Harrison AI. There's a whole range of different types of organizations that we work with and a, and a lot of startups as well to help them to get ahead of the um, diversity debt, if you like, before it starts or before it gets too difficult to reverse it. Um, so yeah, so that that's essentially in a, a nutshell what we do. Mm, amazing. And I love that, yes, you're working with startups and actually giving them the leg up to start mm. on a good basis to begin with. So then we're not having to play catch up, which obviously a lot of uh, big businesses are still having to do that. And and we're very much seeing that in the space of our work as well around um, menopause and and see that this very much sits into that gender equality piece as well. Oh, do Does it come up for you in your line of work? Look, it has in the last probably 18 months to two years more. I'm not even sure it came up much before that, if I'm honest. Um, it would have been minimal before that mm. but in the last couple of years it's become quite I, I've seen a lot more discussion and narrative around it than ever before um to the point where we've now developed a menstrual policy for our customers and <clears throat> startups and um and big and, and small organizations because most of them don't have that um, and it's just a, another helpful thing for them to have and to, to be able to understand why it's important. And this is about not being, you know, laggards, really, and giving these organisations the opportunity to get on the front foot with it without actually having to take too long to get their heads around it. But, you know, giving them a, a bit of a head start. So, yeah, it, it's definitely come up a lot more. Yeah, it's interesting you say sort of 12 to 18 months that you're hearing a lot more and it's coming up a lot more because, I, you know, Natalie and I have been doing this work since 2020 and around that time um, no one was talking about it and we were definitely going out to corporates and other big business and small business and having a chat to them and said, no, it's not an issue here, um, you know, we, we don't need you basically. But the last 18 months especially we've seen a huge explosion of, you know, other other people coming on to doing similar work to us, which is great because it, it spreads the net far, further. But it's still, menopause is still relatively new in the context of gender equality. We're seeing the impact of this phase of life on the number of women in the workplace, the number of women in senior positions. There are gender health caps that need to be addressed also. So in your line of work, how does a business or individual start to introduce such a topic that's not just a tick and a flick, but actually is embedded into their culture? That's that's the case for pretty much everything we talk to companies about, or most of them, so that they're not just tick box exercises. And we, I, I, I guess, I'd say on pretty much a daily, or at very least weekly basis, I have these questions about how do we, or how do I take this through to leadership? How do you know the, the stuff that we're asking companies to do? Quite often, the steering groups we work with will say oh, we could never do that, or, oh, that's going to take such a long time to get through or whatever. And they just, and it's mainly because they just don't know where to start. And they've obviously, they're very, for the most part, stretched. Most of this tends to sit with HR, uh, rightly or wrongly, um, because HR is is really the facilitator as much as anything on um, any, any change to do with people and, and the infrastructure of, um, of people in an organisation. So, they can't 
be assumed to be experts in this. They don't necessarily automatically have policy writing skills or um, and they're, they're typically pretty stretched. You know, the teams are usually run quite lean. So I think the first thing to do, uh, the first thing that I would always advise any person or group within an organization if they want to tackle this is to um, get the data is to just gather some data we we help our customers with that so they'll come to us and say what data have you got on part-time stats what data have you got on uh, menopause or menstrual um, policies what data have you got on um, the latest legislation on the pay gap etc um, but f- without that that's what they need to go and get is to find out and there's now thankfully a lot more than there was so it's being discussed a lot more so there is data available Um, and we're starting to see some case studies popping up as well of where organizations have already implemented um, these processes you go talk to those people you know what have you learned and just build that case before you take it to the, the the company or raise it for discussion because it will be a lot quicker and you'll obviously build credibility if you go ahead and say this is what it is this is why we should do it and this is what we've learned from what other organizations have done so i think um put together some form of a business case in the first place with some data some stats and you know some some real hard evidence as to why they think it should be something that's taken seriously um, because it's not going to be an overnight decision unless it's a startup. A startup can make decisions quickly because they don't have to change much. They can just say, right, we're going to do this from day one. You know, like with equal parental leave, we try and get into the startups to implement that from day one. Then it's easy. You know, if you've never had that and you've always gone, right, you know, two two weeks for for our um partner leave or secondary carer and 10 weeks or 20 weeks or whatever it is for primary that's actually really quite hard to then change or not hard but um it takes a lot more planning and effort to embed that sort of change to roll it out and then embed it and support it whereas if you start from the very beginning um you know you can make those those decisions quickly and just this is this is how we do things so create a business case um if you don't invest the time and the work to do it properly, it might not land well. So this is, I think, the importance of getting it right from the beginning is you can't just say, right, well, this is our new policy and expect people to understand it, take it up and not have any questions about it. So before you go ahead and roll anything out like this, you need to be aware of, um, you know, the the... Uh, the 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 why you need to be aware of um, all the information so that if you get a backlash, which you may do, this this applies to half the population, and most of these organisations, certainly the ones that we deal with, are very male dominated. And when you try and focus on something that is so obviously for one demographic, you may well get a backlash from another, unless you preface it with the right communication beforehand. And that means having all the um, awareness and also having buy-in from um, your senior leadership team so that they understand and they're on board and they can set the tone and talk to it with understanding and knowledge. Um, You also, I think the other thing to really be aware of is 
if there's an individual, if I was giving advice to an individual, say in HR or in a, a, a team somewhere who wants to do this, after giving them all the advice I've just said, I would also say be prepared for the potential that um, the culture of your business leaders might be such that they're not interested. Mm. And you have to be prepared to accept that in as much as you may have your work cut out and you may never get it through in that organization. I've seen it happen many times where people have contacted me about a desire to work on diversity and inclusion issues. And then when they've gone to take it to their leadership teams, they've been blocked and subsequently have made decisions to leave because they find that they're not aligned uh, in terms of values. It's interesting that last point, because sometimes do you find that's coming out of um, an inability to understand or even um, scaredness around that person's own belief system that's coming through? What do you mean? I suppose from a... um, you know, the people that they're taking it to, some of them aren't, you know, really maybe they've got some reservations around around it themselves, the subject matter. Do you find that kind of subject matter really feeds that blocking? Well, yeah. So this is, this is um, you know, the resistance that you can meet, right? Mm. So when you do meet resistance, and honestly, that is, I'd say, welcome to my life because yeah. that is what happens um time and time again in the work that we do is we meet a lot of resistance and what I find though is that it usually comes from a place of uh fear of being exposed for not knowing something Mm. Uh, but although there's another equally uh I suppose common issue is uh I suppose a fixed mindset yeah so yeah I meet a lot of people who want to challenge me or us on the things that we're telling them and you can give some people as much information and data and evidence as you like but they're never going to move from where they're at mm. yeah. and that, yeah, that's hard seen that, haven't we yeah it's it's a regular occurrence for me it's mm. it's people feeling a bit um sometimes exposed it's it's not natural for everyone to say oh I didn't know that that's interesting and to be open to some new perspective or some new learning or something they didn't know a lot of people will have a lot of resistance to that and will stay where they are no matter what and argue day is night and you you kind of I've learned to walk away from those (laughs) you can't change any everybody's minds you know you can't excuse me you can't you can't influence everybody Mm. and you have to be okay with that yeah, and I guess that's the sad, the sad reality, really, and particularly what we see in the line of menopause, that women are leaving the workplace because they feel like they haven't got the support or even more so they feel like they can't talk about it because the workplace don't want to talk about it or they're so scared to even bring it up because that might mean the end of their career. Mm. And, I mean, that that is a reality. And I mean, you sort of said yourself too, that you'll have people who are trying to advocate for change around gender diversity within the workplace. It's just too hard. They'll end up leaving. And I, and, and that really is the true sad reality of it. What I'm curious, because we also, in our line of work, you know, we come up against so many obstacles and so much resistance. And it really is a long and winding road that we've been on over the last few years. And and similarly for you too, I'd say, Emma, that gender equality, diversity and inclusion, it's, it's still a relatively new topic area. How do you keep your passion alive and how do you 
keep moving forward even in the face of that adversity? Yeah, that's a really good question because it does um, it does require a huge amount of of belief in doing the right thing. <clears throat> so um, one of the things I did last year, actually, which is very closely linked to this, was to create an impact model. So I've had a few people over the years question, you know, it's it, if it's so hard to do, is it doable? Um, you know, what you're trying to achieve, is it too hard? And that's why it, it's still not solved today. Um, and I've looked into that and questioned a lot, questioned it a lot. And somebody also talked to me about how it's, you know, trying to sometimes uh, have people take on board what you're trying to get them to do and address problems when they don't see that there's a problem. And that's, uh, that's a hard truth to take. But that's why I came up with this. Uh, you know, I spent some time with um, some uh, what I would call experts in the theory of change and um, social impact and looking at actually how do you create social impact? And that is that was a really good exercise to do because we've come up with a now landed on a, um, an impact model that speaks very clearly to the theory of change and how we see this rolling out. Um, and it's not a short term endeavor. And I think <clears throat> you know, from the beginning, I was I was certainly optimistic um, and my optimism hasn't really changed. It's more that um, I've learned a lot over the last five years about human behavior. And uh, so the theory of change is a, a big part of understanding how long it takes to drive something as significant in social and societal impact as what we're trying to do. And I think reminding myself of that regularly and revisiting that and really thinking carefully about the relationships that you need to have and you know what I was talking about about growth and fixed mindsets and recognizing those because you can really exhaust yourself trying to change minds that will never be changed um, rather than <clears throat> focusing on the areas where you actually do have an opportunity to, to change and finding people who have that growth mindset and who are prepared to challenge the status quo and who do have a care factor for the legacy that they are creating in the environments they're working in and have a passion for it. So that that's what, I mean, my passion will never dissipate for achieving the change that I want to see in the world and that I think we all need to see in the world, which is, you know, the, obviously equality. And equality comes from leveling a playing field, you know, and, and in terms of what we're talking about today, if you think of the research that's been done on erectile dysfunction versus the research that's been done on endometriosis, yeah. it, it's a stark difference. And so this is all, this all comes from the patriarchy. And when you know, when we talk about feminism, um, you know, and I talk about the patriarchy, I think there is a, a, a huge misunderstanding in general and a, a knee-jerk reaction in a lot of people about those two words, uh, feminism and the patriarchy. And it's come from a deep misunderstanding. And somebody asked me at an event the other day, um, actually, it was it was. Uh, one of the founders of Canva and we were talking and somebody uh, mentioned something about feminism. Oh, it's because of the necklace I'm wearing, which says feminist AF. 
Um, and it came up in conversation. I was talking to the MD of, of Google and the found, one of the founders of Canva, and we were talking about this necklace. And um, it was funny because it, the reaction of a third party that was there said, you know, it was, it was a bit horrified. And um, uh, Cliff said, come on, well, what does feminism actually mean? And not because he didn't know, but because he was sort of wanting to say, yeah, let's just bring that up. And I said, well, it's it's um, equality, you know, or the belief that men and women should be equal. And he and he was like, exactly. And so the third party was like, oh, right, okay. Because it just needs to be normalized. Mm. And, um, you know, and Cliff sort of said, you know, we should all wear that on our, on our T-shirts. Because, you know, everybody, if you say to them, do you believe men and women should be equal? And treated equally, they'd probably say yes. Mm. That's all feminism is is advocating for men and women to be equal and be treated equally and have a level playing field. Um, so that's really all we're talking about. And it's things like the patriarchy. If you understand the the societal construct um, of patriarchy, where it comes from, Google it, look it up. If you think if your automatic reaction is is negative to that word, just go Google it. Go understand what the patriarchy is. So when people talk about it, you don't feel that reaction. You know that that's that's the the worst thing is this misinterpretation and misunderstanding of these fundamental foundations of what we're all trying to do. Um, because I think a lot more people would would be able to be more open minded and 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 be willing to say, I want to learn more about that. I want to understand that, you know, so when we talk about the difference between erectile dysfunction and, and endometriosis and the research that's gone into those two things and the, the treatment available for those two things and the understanding of those two things um, that you can make the connection between that and the patriarchy mm-hmm. and why we have to still keep challenging it. Yes, yes. And I have to say, Lisa and I were smiling at each other through the camera as you were talking because there's been times where we've looked at each other and said, is this just too big a beast for mm. us to keep going with? Because it's not just supporting women. We're actually trying to change societal beliefs and expectations. But like you, Emma, you tap into that impact and that theory of change and you look at and say, okay, no, you know what, There, I can, we can do it. And uh, it, it might take a collective piece and it might be a long time and that's okay. And I think that's where you start to shift expectations a little bit um, and, and keep tapping into, into that passion and that purpose that you, that you want to keep having. So love what you share. We're coming to the end of our podcast, but if you could give one piece of advice to a HR, CEO, a board member, an employee on how to move the dial forward, what is one action step that they could take? Ah, okay. So I would say for I, I, I'm specifically talking to HR here, and that would be to lean into the experts. So you don't have to know this stuff. Your job is not to know this stuff. It is to know when you need experts to help with things. And this thing is one of them. So HR, as I mentioned before, very lean, typically, um, they are responsible for all of the things. And that's a, it's a lot of things. In most organizations, HR is responsible for a lot of things. So to expect people in HR, people in culture teams to know everything um, and the depth that you is required for some of these topics, which are complex, um, they're not simple. 
I wish they were, but they're not. To expect them to know that is unrealistic. So I would say to HR, be open-minded, have a growth mindset, lean into the experts. Don't feel that you have to know it all or that you are going to look bad if you don't know it all um, or that you're going to be exposed because you're expected to know it all. I think you need to, to really lean into experts. That, that would be my advice. I think to CEO and board members, I'd say, do the right thing. Consider your legacy. Own that legacy that you're creating in your organization. Own it and set the tone. Otherwise, you risk being a laggard. And if you really give just to take some time and space to think about that and come up with a, um, a, a an attitude, a mindset, then you'll hopefully do the right thing. And when you say that last point with CEOs, actually, one thing that comes to mind is um, uh, in our discussions that we've had with um, a, a fairly high profile corporate in the past, they, they were in, implementing some menopause discussion and it was very new at the time. And their male CEO was very keen to come on board and be involved in that discussion. And often, you know, people that are working at a business or a corporation, whatever it looks like, they're looking to that higher level person at that level to see what's going to work from them and what's acceptable at, rather than within them, their own belief system to start with, unfortunately. So that's a really good point. I love that you talk about doing the right thing and setting the tone. That's just amazing. And I think I just wanted to add too, I think it just highlights the layers of fear that individually there's a level of fear no matter what role that you're in because you don't want to be exposed for not knowing or for being new at something. And then there's that also that fear around, oh, what will my customers think mm. if I do this? Or what will my clients think? Or what will my employees think? And there's just, it's like peeling an onion that we've just got to come back and, and you know, remove those layers of fear and, and beliefs that are not serving us. And, and I think often when, when a CEO or HR person takes that step forward, big, small, medium, whatever it is, and actually starts discussing these more sort of, shall we say, taboo topics that are really, you know, the normal things that are happening in a woman's life. Uh, it's, 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 it's that first step forward can be really hard, but once you've made it and we've seen it time after time, even just doing, delivering the workshops that we've done, that it's just like, oh, this was the best thing to do. I wish I did it sooner. Exactly. There's power in that. There mm. really is. Um, I think they, they, this is why I talk about legacy. I think the people who have that uh, profile in an organization have an obligation to consider their legacy mm. and what they want it to be. And this is where they you know, the, it comes down to stepping into their power um, and, and using it in the right way. And that leads beautifully into this question that I wanted to ask you, Emma. This podcast is all about power and finding, nurturing and using our personal power as we transition through life phases in this perimenopause and beyond, we would love to know from your experience, how have you come into your own power? I think through my connection with my women friends and my female connection, uh, my female connections, I remember my mum said that she didn't really notice menopause when it happened to her. And I think that's because that's how it was. Now that we're all talking amongst ourselves about menopause and how bloody awful it is um I think my mum probably just suppressed it I think it was just another thing that you just had to get on with in life uh, at, in that era but really 
for me, it's been about connection with other women. You know, I started my menopause at 42. I'm now in my mid fifties. Um, and it's, it was because of a thyroid and uh, autoimmune condition that I have. So it started very early for me and it was really hard to deal with in those first few years when I was still, uh, you know, at the peak of my career. Um, or building, I should say, in, in my career and advancing, and to have to deal with those symptoms in a leadership role, global leadership role, is really intimidating and hard to deal with. And you think you're going bonkers. Um, but I think it's become so much more comfortable to discuss that, that give, there's power in that, um, that you can bring it up without fear of judgment or... Um, you know, of offending people anymore or making people feel uncomfortable. And there's also an acceptance today that there never used to be about it being a good thing to feel uncomfortable, to challenge yourself and, and be be comfortable with being uncomfortable. So I think that's where I've really stepped into the, the power of it myself is, is in being very open and honest and uh, not worrying about offending the few, but more about including the many. Mm, I love that so much. And it just reiterates the importance of having a community around you and being able to be in a safe space to talk about it and maybe not even talk about it, but just to mention the word menopause. I mean, when we started back in 2020, menopause was still being whispered behind a shielded hand. And now that's the one saying, what are you whispering for? (laughs) It's definitely changed. So I really love that, Emma. And I just, I love some of the key words that come out for me in our conversation was that legacy piece. I love um, what you say around feminism and, and building and you know, men and women being equal and being supported equally as well. I think, you know, they're just such powerful mindsets. And then, of course, that growth mindset. And I often talk about the life phase of perimenopause and and all of our transformational life phases as being a learning opportunity and trying to tap into that growth mindset that we all can nurture. Of course, that is sometimes the last thing on women's mind when they're going through that, but it's trying to just shift perspective. And we hope that through conversations such as this and the work that you're doing and, and obviously us as well, that we can then start to give people a different thought process and and remove some of those layers of fear as well. So, yeah, what a fabulous conversation. I guess just in closing, Emma, where can our listeners connect with you and learn more about your wonderful work and passion? Um, probably just on LinkedIn, I would say. So connect with me, follow follow me, follow Project F. Um, we're on LinkedIn, Emma Jones. Um, there's, I think there's probably a lot of Emma Joneses, but if you put in <laughs> Emma Jones and Project F, I should come up. So, yeah, feel free to do that. And we'll pop the direct link in our show notes as well so everyone can just click in it and uh, follow you. But as I said, thank you so much, Emma. It's been a thrill to, well, firstly meet you as well because we had an introduction to you from a a mutual contact and just to learn about your work. And I guess, again, it just highlights for me how many amazing people are out there doing incredible work and we don't always know about them and we love that we can create this platform to introduce people across the world to wonderful work and passion. So thank you so much for being here. It's been a real pleasure. I I really love the conversation. I've actually been writing down quite a few notes um, just to in my perimenopause brain that I'll forget. So I've just put them down on paper so I can go back and have a look at them. It's like, oh, good. Well done. That's um, that's a, a good, good effort. Well, look, it's been great talking to you. Thank you for having me on the show. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Perimenopause Power. If you found today's episode empowering, 
don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Your journey through perimenopause just got a whole lot brighter. And of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts. So leave us a review. Your feedback helps us empower even more women on this transformative journey. Until next time, keep embracing your perimenopause power.